Liberty Solutions here. We are a no whining allowed show on what the people can actually do about today's problems. Who decides, you or a DC career politician surrounded by marble and money? We like facts, so caution out the prisoners of their own drama. There's logic here. As Mark Twain said, politicians in diapers need to be changed often and for the same reason. Hello everybody, today we're discussing the overreaching Supreme Court. The justices believe they can rule over us all as if they are the final say on all matters. People, Congress, the President, and the states don't really matter that much to them. I'm Keith, pondering how our black-robed rulers attempt to run our lives and what we should do to stop it. Alright, the timeline here. According to the Constitution, Article 3, Section 1, the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. The judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior. Section 2 defines the extent of the power that the Supreme Court federal courts have. The judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution and the laws of the United States and treaties. This is for cases for ambassadors, maritime, controversies between two or more states, between citizens of different states, and between the states and foreign states. It's interesting, there's nothing in this list that allows the Supreme Court to make an opinion or issue a decision related to something within a state. So the way they developed this power, um, starting in 1789, Congress passed the Judiciary Act that established the federal judiciary per the Constitution. George Washington in, 19, in 1789 appointed two Supreme Court justices and ten district court judges. There was no appellate court at the time. Some of the cases that grew their power. Um, in 1803, Marbury versus Madison, it's President Madison, established the concept of judicial review. Chief Justice John Marshall claimed the court had the authority to declare a law unconstitutional. This was the beginning of the Supreme Court rise in power. It was the first declaration of an act of Congress as unconstitutional. In 1819, the McCullough v. Maryland was a unanimous decision that the federal government possessed implied powers not explicitly outlined in the Constitution. The majority opinion held that the federal government's power was allowed to expand and evolve beyond the Constitution. Don't know where they got that idea. In 1824, Gibbons versus Ogden. This was the two steamboat ferry operators in New York and New Jersey. This established the supremacy of the federal government over the states by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said the Commerce Clause gives the federal government overriding power for interstate commerce. It was a unanimous decision. They said that Congress alone has the power to regulate interstate trade. This was a significant expansion of the power of the federal government. In 1946, the Korematsu v. U.S., 
court case. This upheld Frank Kuramatsu's conviction for defying the World War II Japanese heritage American citizens' internment. The majority opinion here was that the security of the United States was more important than individual rights. 1954, Brown v. Board of Education. Arkansas governor had sent the National Guard to block black kids from an all-white school. Pretty scary thing to have a gun point at you so you can't go to school. But then Eisenhower sent a thousand army paratroopers to force desegregation in Arkansas. Eisenhower also put the National Guard under federal control in Little Rock. I don't know if he had the paratroopers drop into the schoolyard to uh, walk the kids in, but um, sounds pretty scary. I was under the impression the military was not allowed to operate within the borders of the country. It's an example of a good result for a bad reason, and the result is tyranny. So even though desegregating the schools might be looked at as a good thing, sending paratroopers to Arkansas to enforce federal law over state law is not really a good thing. Bad precedent. 1876. This was the first time the Supreme Court decided that states can regulate private businesses to protect public's interest. A lot of mischief probably came from that one. Uh, backing up to one I found later, 1816, Martin versus Hunter's Lisee. The holding of the Supreme Court was that Article 3 grants the Supreme Court jurisdiction and authority over state courts on all matters involving federal law. 1942, Wickard v. Filborn. This is a famous one. This is the legal challenge to the Federal Crop Support Regulation, the New Deal era law. From Wikipedia, this is an expansive reading of the Commerce Clause, dramatically increased the regulatory power of the federal government. The 1938 Agriculture Adjustment Act, Supreme Court said that was constitutionally applied to production purely within a state because of its effect on interstate commerce. Filburn was growing wheat for use only on his farm. The government had established production limits to stabilize prices and availability. Philborn violated the production limit, and he was ordered to pay a penalty. He said he never sold it, so there was no commerce, certainly no interstate commerce. Supreme Court said there is a substantial economic effect on interstate commerce. Wheat is traded across state lines sometimes. Therefore, it's interstate commerce, and the government can make a law based on the Interstate Commerce Clause. Then 2005, basically the same kind of decision, Gonzalez versus Reich, 6-3 opinion. The Supreme Court majority opinion said that Congress can criminalize homegrown cannabis even if state law allows its use for medical purposes. Justice Stevens, for the majority, said that growing marijuana at home substantially affects the interstate market. It's really based on the Wickard Wheat case. What the federal government held is that consuming one's locally grown Marijuana, for medical purposes, affects interstate commerce of marijuana. That one's especially interesting because marijuana was actually illegal under federal law, yet the Supreme Court is saying that they're trying to regulate interstate commerce by saying you can't grow six plants in your house and use it for medical purposes. The uh, dissent by Clarence Thomas in that, um, he said using marijuana that was never bought, never sold, 
had no demonstrable effect on national market for marijuana. He said if Congress can regulate this under the Commerce Clause, then it can regulate anything, and the federal government is no longer one of limited and enumerated powers. I think I agree with Thomas on this one, not the majority. All right, what's constitutional and therefore lawful? Thomas Jefferson said, The great object of my fear is the federal judiciary. He was worried about the the uh, Supreme Court and the lower courts becoming overly powerful. The gradual evolution of the Supreme Court into its role of, quote, guardian of the Constitution is now called the power of judicial review. It's not specifically spelled out in the Constitution, but there are those that assert it's clearly implied by the percent, by these, uh, Supremacy Clause. That's in Article 6 of the Constitution. It says, This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. So the key, the key phrase in that is laws which are made in pursuance of the Constitution. And Hamilton said the courts were designed to keep Congress within the limits assigned to their authority. If they should be disposed to exercise will instead of judgment, the consequence would equally be the substitution of their pleasure to that of the legislative body. In other words, Hamilton is saying they're not allowed to make laws. All right, we'll follow some of the money here. I looked at Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's the highest net worth estimate for any of the Supreme Court justices. But her average is $28 million, 2009. Salary is about a quarter million for, for all of them. Uh, she worked as a as a professor for Rutgers University, and then she was a lawyer for the ACLU, and then she became a federal uh, appeals court judge. Uh, Scalia and Thomas, both are big gold investors, like several million each. It's kind of interesting because I thought they think gold isn't money. Uh, Sotomayor made $2 million from a book advance in 2009. Uh, there's an interesting one. Buyer sold his Amgen stock, uh, made a pretty good windfall there. It's a pharmaceutical company that was party to a Supreme Court case. And one month after he sold it, uh, he was no longer on the recusal list. Uh, in 2014, all but one reported income from side gigs, mostly teaching and a few books. So it was a quarter million total in 2013. The Supreme Court justice selection just matters way too much. So the example here, Kennedy is retiring July end of July. Uh, he'll be 82 then. Try to figure out if he's a conservative conservative or a liberal, a uh, authoritarian or a libertarian. Uh, his, his opinions are a mixed bag. Seems to be a left-leaning, moderate, authoritarian conservative. Uh, he was uncompromising on freedom of speech protection and, and due process. He did a good job on there. Uh, the liberals agreed with him on the same-sex marriage issues. He was the author of all four Supreme Court opinions affirming fundamental rights for gay people. Um, in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, 1992, Kennedy joined the majority, saving Roe v. Wade. Um, but then in Gonzales in 2007, he wrote the majority opinion that uphold the uh, partial 
Birth Abortion Band Act. So Kennedy's been denounced by every major faction in U.S. politics, according to uh, Damien Root from Reason. Uh, thanks to Kennedy, um, all hell is about to break loose when he retires. The Democrats are going to launch a massive attack on any candidate that Trump nominates. And then Kennedy sided with the liberals uh, upholding Obamacare, where they redefined the penalty as a tax and forced uh, economic activity on people. Um, but overall, Kennedy, looking at him, uh, he used the court to pursue his agenda. Um, he said the court can define marriage, can advance LBGT rights, quote-unquote. It can force Americans to purchase a product they don't want. can work till 82 as a federal judge. 85 if he thinks Ginsburg's okay still. And he can impose his view of fairness on a state civil board. He also said that the court can define what is art. It can define if a wedding cake is speech. And he can grant special rights to those with, quote, deep and sincere religious beliefs, unquote. As opposed to those with only moderate religious beliefs and to atheists, they don't have the rights. Uh, the court can impose restrictions that were written on him back onto the employer that delegated his authority, which is the state's. And another recent thing he did is he missed two Supreme Court decision days to go to his grandkids' high school graduation. And he said it's because he loves his grandkids. Evidently, that's more important than an important day at work to Kennedy. The Obergefell case, this is the same-sex marriage. Kennedy wrote the majority opinion, and I look at it, that's the right conclusion for entirely wrong reasons. Um, his, his reason was dignity. Uh, the dissenters uh, were against it because they wanted to define traditional marriage. All right, the Contracts Clause, there's a lot of abuse, a lot of mischief has come from the Supreme Court on this one. The Sven v. Mellon case in 2008 chipped away at the people's liberty. The Supreme Court, in an 8-to-1 opinion, majority opinion, reversed a lower court opinion. And what they said is that a state can retroactively change a contract between two people. All right, I want to talk a little bit about populism in Supreme Court opinions. An interesting one here is uh, Janus's 5-4 decision. This is, uh, just, just happened. It overturned a 40-year-old case that unions can force payment by non-members. And the, uh, what's all over the internet is this is going to be the, quote, death of public sector unions, unquote. So the reason they're going to die, apparently, is the unions are now going to have to present the case of why they should exist. For 40 years, many of them didn't bother with this. So unions are now going to have to prove they're worth it. The ones that can do that will be fine. It's interesting, the original case, and then 40 years later, this overturning. Um, they're really doing it based on popular opinion. Uh, these guys are politicians. They're supposed to be court justices looking at law. So it certainly should have been overturned. I mean, you can't, shouldn't be compelling economic activity. But the interesting thing to me is, why did this take 40 years to fix this blatantly unconstitutional decision? All right, I want to talk about some of the crazy people on this Supreme Court selection. Some of the uh, fear-mongering going on about Kennedy retiring. 
uh, as they said, this is going to be the end of our democracy if Trump gets to pick a Supreme Court justice. Uh, Elizabeth Warren said, We need judges to be advocates of progressive laws, not people who will bow to the whims of the Constitution, pitting its extremist values of freedom of speech and freedom of religion against our agenda. Wow, so uh, I think she deserves her nickname of uh, Spreading Bull, her Indian name. Uh, Should you impeach her, or should term limits take her out? I don't know. Then I thought, all right, I'll check uh, the Communist News Network. The vast majority of the people believe that Roe versus Wade is the law of the land and should remain the law of the land. And I think that if Trump nominates somebody who wants to undo uh, that constitutional right that women now have. Bernie, what the hell are you talking about? To start with, what the popular view is does not matter to the Supreme Court. You say the vast majority of the people think whatever. Supreme Court is not supposed to make their opinions on what the vast majority of the people think. Secondly, Supreme Court does not make, quote, law of the land, unquote. He says Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. That's not true. Congress writes laws. Supreme Court issues opinions, majority opinions and dissenting. Let's have a podcast policy. You have to call out anyone who uses phrases like law of the land or Supreme Court ruled or constitutional right, blah, blah, blah. So no, legislatures make laws. No, kings issues rulings, not courts. And there's no such thing as a constitutional right. The Constitution recognizes rights. Governments can infringe on rights, but rights are natural. Rights exist. Government does not grant rights. And the Constitution certainly does not do that. Bernie's a populist. He calls himself a democratic socialist. Try to figure out exactly what that means. Um, you could also call him a democratic Nazi. Not in the Nazi party main, but the the German word Nazi. It's national socialist. Comes from national socialist. Uh, it describes Bernie. It's mob rule by voting. That's how Hitler got in power. That's how Bernie wants to get in power. It's the uh, same story as Venezuela. But I digress. All right, for a little sanity on the Supreme Court, let's listen to Dave Smith from his podcast a couple days ago by the way obamacare which yeah right like was was uh was deemed by four justices unconstitutional as is and justice roberts uh basically allowed it through on the grounds that it was a tax uh which is the exact opposite of what obama sold it on so the supreme court on obamacare four dissenters five for it pretty uh squeaky victory there for compelling people to buy something that they don't want. First time that the Supreme Court ever said that, as far as I know. All right, to get another view on the Supreme Court, I figured I'd listen to a little MSLSD. The reason Anthony Kennedy's retirement felt like such an earthquake today, the reason a lot of observers are saying this is the biggest political earthquake since the election of Trump and the subsequent revelation that a foreign adversary had a role in helping elect Trump. The reason Kennedy leaving the court today is being seen as a once in a lifetime show stopping political moment, particularly for Democrats. 
um, is not necessarily because of anything about Anthony Kennedy. It's because of this. Conservative Justice Antonin Scalia died February 2016. President Obama picked a, a, a centrist nominee to succeed him. But even though the nominee was Merrick Garland, Republicans nevertheless decided to do something completely without precedent. They decided that they would hold Scalia's seat open for well over a year. They refused to meet with the nominee. They refused to hold a hearing, refused to hold a vote. They refused to even consider or discuss any nomination. And that's Rachel Maddow weighing in on the Supreme Court. She says it's an earthquake. It's a disaster if a Supreme Court justice retires and Trump gets to recommend the next one. Um, the Senate still has to confirm. But either way, she thinks this is the, the end of everything, I guess. It's, it's an earthquake. This selection process and the power that the Supreme Court has taken makes the pick of the next justice way more important than it's supposed to be. One thing interesting Rachel said, um, kind of thinking maybe she's got a point here. You know, the, the Republicans sat for a year on, on the last Supreme Court pick until the election happened. So um, maybe she's right. Maybe the Democrats should tell the Republicans you got to wait until after the election before you're allowed to pick another justice. I'm not saying I believe that. I think they should pick somebody now and confirm them from the states, from the Senate. Our Republican colleagues in the Senate should follow the rule they set in 2016, not to consider a Supreme Court justice in an election year. That was Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer making the same point as Rachel. I'll be uh, entertained at the argument on this if the Democrats push it. Um, question is, will the Republicans be hypocritical or will they wait till after the election? Or maybe they should wait until the next presidential election. That's what the Democrats think they really want to do. All right, I've had enough of the crazy people. Let me go back to Dave Smith again. He's always got great points on this stuff. If Judge Napolitano were to be put on the Supreme Court, you would have a true, hardcore libertarian constitutionalist on the Supreme Court. And if you think Judge Napolitano is hardcore now, give him the protection of a lifetime uh, guaranteed Supreme Court seat, and you will see somebody who will always be uh, fighting to check the power of the state. Judge Napolitano is a true believer of, uh, you know, that government that governs best governs least. And um, it would be it would be pretty nice to have a hedge against big government in that Supreme Court seat. Now, as a lot of you guys know, I have uh, I'm not a Trump supporter. I did not vote for Donald Trump. I put out a video in the election about how I think voting is a waste of time. And particularly for me, as someone who lives in New York City, voting just mathematically is a waste of time. The Democrats are going to win uh, no matter what. Yeah, Dave Smith getting right to the point. I feel for you with the voting, Dave. After 30 years of voting for presidents in New Jersey, and besides, voting in another guy is not going to fix anything. Need something a bit more major than that to fix this problem. As far as the next justice pick, I did hear uh, Judge Napolitano was on Trump's shortlist. Uh, I think he would be great. I can't think of somebody better than him. But there's a couple other good people I could think of. Uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, he would be pretty good. Somebody else that I think would be good was is Justin Amash, the uh, Michigan congressman. He's one of the best congressmen I know of that's an attorney. Rand Paul's a physician, so we can't pick him. 
somebody else I'd be thinking about is Chris Ann Hall, constitutional attorney. I saved a clip from her podcast a couple days ago. It starts out with the uh, ludicrous view of Neil Gorsuch on the authority of Supreme Court justices. And when anyone criticizes the honesty or integrity, the motives of a federal judge, well, I find that disheartening. I find that demoralizing because I know the truth. Anyone, including the President of the United States. Anyone is anyone. Because no person is above the law, including the President of the United States. That's right, Senator. Of Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, who shockingly declares that it is demoralizing, he says, to criticize the intentions, motivations, or honesty of a federal judge. He even makes the implication that to question a federal judge's intentions, motivations, or honesty is an unlawful act. No, Mr. Gorsuch. Questioning the intention, the morality, and the honesty of a judge is not an immoral act. It is the duty of every citizen of the United States. It is the duty of every person living under this constitutional republic. And it is absolutely within the job description of every congressman that sits in Washington, D.C. These judges hold their positions based on good behavior alone. And Neil Gorsuch is one of the best justices we have now, but he still thinks he's king. Nobody from me up to the president is allowed to even consider that he might not be correct. It's ridiculous. All right, I'm going to talk about how to fix things here. First thing, with the uh, Convention of States, if the states enact term limits. You know, right now only the president has term limits, but there's no inherent reason the Supreme Court shouldn't have term limits too. The poster girl for term limits is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, she's not going to give up power at, at all from what it seems. I, you know, I expect the only way she's going to give up is the same way Alito did. A convention of states can be called by two-thirds of the states and one of the topics that 12 states have already called for is establishing term limits on federal offices other than the president. Supreme Court's a good place to do that. Ginsburg's 85, showing no signs of leaving. I don't know if she's going to wait till the end of this term. She'll be 88. And what if Trump does get elected again? She's going to be 92? She falls asleep all the time. I looked up a few just to get some facts. Uh, she slept through uh, Obama's State of the Union address. Um, she blamed it that she wasn't 100% sober. She slept through Pope Francis' address to Congress in the Supreme Court. Uh, that was in the morning, so I assume that wasn't because of wine. Um, there's a painting of her from a uh, or an artist's rendition in court uh, during oral arguments on a redistricting case. It was around noon. Her head's just flat on the bench, face down. 
And uh, Alito's right next to her, but he let her sleep. He didn't even nudge her. She slept about 15 minutes. I assume this is one of the reasons they don't let TV in the Supreme Court. Neil Gorsuch, during a October 2017 oral argument, said, Maybe we can just for a second talk about that arcane matter, the Constitution. Ginsburg repeatedly tried to shut Neil down for doing that. She noted that the court had otherwise interpreted it. As far as term limits go, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the poster child for term limits. She's been there way too long. She's not going to give up her power, though. So to me, term limits would help reduce the effect of people like her. She's too powerful. And she's too old. I don't necessarily think uh, old people can't do stuff, but she's she's long past this. I think she should be sitting on the porch in a frilly house dress, rocking in her chair, knitting, maybe taking a nap with the cat. How about a town council job? I wouldn't give her the mayor. That's too much authority for her ego. But I wouldn't mind if she was demanding better snow removal on her street. You know, Neil Gorsuch... Uh, Thinks there's no federal judges that are a problem. So how about this guy? Federal Judge Royal Ferguson, West Texas Circuit Court. I have the authority and control of the U.S. Army, Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, and U.S. Marshals to affect my order. So any failure to comply with that order is contempt, punishable with lots of money, punishable by possible jail, and death. So, Mr. Gorsuch, you think this uh, this judge isn't exceeding himself? I'm not allowed to question that? So, fix number two here that a convention of states can do is if the states propose an amendment to limit the power and the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. It's obvious from this case history that they're just way out of control. Way, way out of control. All right, on the 29th podcast, Mark Levin said... We want a constitutionalist, not a right side or a leftist, to replace Kennedy on the Supreme Court. It's a good point. These people are politicians. They're they're looking at the current view of the public, and they're enacting their own agenda, and we're letting them get away with it. You know, judges don't rule. They issue opinions. There's a lot of 5-4 opinions uh, released, where, where it was only only by one. Again, like I said earlier, please don't use the phrase law of the land. Legislatures make law, not not courts. Never say rulings. That's going to be a podcast policy. Only kings issue rulings. Judges do not issue rulings. They issue opinions on particular cases. The expansion authority of the Supreme Court, as decided by the Supreme Court, is just ludicrous. We can't let the federal government decide what its own power is. When you give a lawyer a fancy black robe, big leather chair, walnut bench in a marble office, and a lifetime appointment, they turn into kings and queens. Even a guy like Neil Gorsuch, who's who's mostly been great, um, he thinks we're not even allowed to question him. They think they're the final decider of all matters, like they're the only ones qualified to determine what the Constitution means. They order Congress, they order the President, they order states, they order the people to do whatever they decide is fair. 
History proves, if not stopped, the Supreme Court will continue to grab ever more power from the states and the people. The judiciary was designed to be the weakest of the three. It doesn't have the power of the purse, doesn't have the power of the sword. It can only issue opinions. And Supreme Court justices hold their offices during good behavior. That's what it says in the Constitution. So many Supreme Court majority opinions are clearly not constitutional, and they contribute to a lot of the problems today. So an amendment to restrain their authority would, would go a long way toward improving things. So some of the really crazy ones are the Korematsu, the, the Japanese internment, which said that they can lock up American citizens indefinitely because of their heritage. McCullough asserted that the federal government power can expand beyond the Constitution, never been overturned. Gibbons say the Commerce Clause gives the federal government supremacy over the states. There's been so much mischief from the Commerce Clause. They think they can regulate every aspect of everything because of commerce. Brown B. Board of Education. Federal government can send troops to enforce federal laws within a state. Cooper. Only the federal courts can decide when the Constitution is violated. That certainly isn't true. That's the Congress's job, that's the President's job, and that's the people's job. Anyway, what we need here is two amendments proposed by the states. Congress is never going to do it. One is term limits on Supreme Court justices. Don't let them stay there till 85. Like Ruthie. Second is an amendment that clarifies the appropriate jurisdiction and the appropriate power for the Supreme Court. Congress is not going to do that either. States have to do that. Remember, the Constitution is a compact between the states. Federal government is not a party to the Constitution. The states created the government. The states existed as sovereign entities long before they brought the federal government into existence. The Convention of States can fix this. As far as what I can do, first thing is visit conventionofstates.com. That explains why, what, and who. At the bottom, click the plus. There's the About Info. You can download the Citizen's Pocket Guide. It's a short read. It explains the Convention of States. And if you agree, hit the plus for Take Action at the bottom. You can sign the petition. That'll send uh, automatically your review to your legislator. And you can join a volunteer team. So please see conventionofstates.com. So thanks for listening to Liberty Solutions. Please like us, follow us, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And please comment on what you like and what you don't like. And we'll see you next week.